Amen. Good morning, family. Would it offend you if I said Merry Christmas? Are we there? Are we close enough? I could say Merry Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right. There was a mixed response just for the record. For those of you who were like, no, I wouldn't be offended. There were a couple that were like, yeah, it's too early. You got to wait at least another week or so. Um, Well, good morning. My name is David. I'm the site pastor here at Grace Covenant in Sterling. Um, I love I love Sunday mornings. Um, in fact, I was talking to Megan. I was like, we need to, we need to get a t-shirt made. Just Sundays are my favorite. Um, cause, cause they really are. I just, I love this moment. I love seeing you all. Um, we, we pray for you throughout the week and, um, just believing God for him to move mightily in and through your lives. And, um, but there's something that happens in my own faith, right? So it's just completely selfish. There's something that happens in my own faith when I see, you all loving God and worshiping and fellowshipping with one another and praying with one another. My heart is stirred in a special way when I see people standing up front after the service and talking with one another and praying. Uh, my heart is stirred in a special way when I see uh, people greeting one another in the hallway that, you know, except for Jesus, wouldn't know each other, except for Jesus, wouldn't love one another, um, except, when, except for Jesus, wouldn't like one another. And um, and that's special and it's remarkable and it's something that I think is unique and distinct to the body of Christ. And, and on Sunday morning, there's this fresh expression of it. And so it's just, I, I anticipate it greatly, um, not just because I'm a pastor. It was something that I grew up anticipating. It was something that um, I, I plugged in early, started serving alongside of my father, and uh, that developed a taste for me to, to get to Sunday morning and to see the people uh, who God has joined me to. And um, so if you're here for the first time or if you're new with us, we're glad you're with us. Thanks for uh, celebrating Christmas with us. Uh, today we're going to continue the Advent series and we're going to look at the lengths by, to which Jesus went in order to redeem us. So I, I joked last week about Talladega Nights and the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus and how it's easy to make God and make Jesus into what we imagine him to be. And then we worship him according to what we, we imagine him to be. So I challenge us to think more of Jesus and um, to think of him more often, but also to think of him to be grander, greater, more awesome and more powerful and, uh, than, than, we, than we dare think or dare dream or dare hope or dare ask. And um, today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the lengths that he went for that awesome, powerful God to take the form of of a, of a babe. Um, just before we get to the, the verse, I want to say that when we get to this verse, we need to understand that Jesus didn't um, become created when he was conceived in Mary's womb. Jesus has always existed as the Godhead. So when you go back to the book of Genesis at the account of creation and, and God says, let us make man in our image, he's not speaking of himself in, in like a third party kind of way, he's referring to the Holy Trinity. Let us, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image. Uh, and, so in, in, and so Jesus has always existed from the very beginning. And when he became incarnate, when he was essentially placed himself in Mary's, in Mary's womb, that's not when his life started. That's when his physical, that's when he took on flesh. That's when, when he condescended. That's when he humbled himself and took on the form of a, of a baby. Uh, but he had always existed. So he wasn't created at that point. And that's just, that's important when we get there later. 
But today we're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 2. And this is a really cool passage of scripture because if all we had was these few verses, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, we, if, if the rest of the Bible burned up somehow and all we had was these verses, we would have enough to know that Jesus is God that he is king, he is Lord, and we would even know how we're to respond to his godship, to his godness. Both of those aren't words, but I couldn't find better words to define what I was aiming for. And so if we only had these passages, so it's a really exciting place in scripture. You know, have you ever, have you ever thought like, which page of the Bible would I want? You ever had that thought? It's kind of a weird one. You know, it's kind of like if you went to a desert island, what thing would you want to bring with you? Sometimes I thought if all I had was one page of scripture and I was going into the missions field, if I was, if I was crossing some border and I was going to the underground church, which page of the Bible would I want to take? And so this is one of those ones that, that I would take with me. And so um, what we're going to do today is we're going to work through the passage. We're going to look at the verses in order, and then I want to draw out two main ideas. So if you could stand with me for the reading of scripture, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually, I'm going to read verses one through four, and then we'll read five through eight together. That's, oh, by the way, if you, if you weren't here last week, we started doing that now. I don't, I don't read uh, that on the microphone. We, we read that in unison. I mute myself because I have reading problems. <laughs> so Philippians chapter two. So, is, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this Advent season where we get to look with fresh eyes and fresh ears and fresh hearts who you are and what your plan is and what your purpose is. I ask that you would stir our affection for you today. You would stir our intellect to be hungry for you today. And you would change our appetite that we would long for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's believed that when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, part of what he was doing here was quoting a hymn, a popular, a popular hymn that was known uh, by the early church at this time. Now, that's pretty cool um, because what it does is it establishes the godship of Jesus, that Jesus is divine, and it was known, it was understood that way by the early church. Some people want to say that Jesus was made to be God later. Hundreds of years later, some say even, you know, at the Council of Nicaea and others, that that's when people decided that Jesus was God. But we see from passages like this that 
uh, the early church believed in the divinity of Christ. They knew him to be God and they worshiped him as such. Otherwise, verses like this, chapters like this would have been destroyed. They wouldn't have made it. Paul's ministry wouldn't have grown among those he was proclaiming this to. They would have, they would have, the people who, who loved Jesus for who Jesus was would have killed him. But the people who loved Jesus responded to Paul's teaching by believing the same way that Paul was teaching. Does that make sense? And so that's just kind of an encouraging thing to know that when, when we are, that we're aligned with what the early church thought of Jesus and knew about Jesus all along and, and we don't have new ideas. You know, revival, when it brings new information that nobody else has never known before, you need to be very, very cautious. Revival, authentic, true revival always goes back. It's not like new hidden revelation and new hidden information. If we found a new book of the Bible, a new page of the Bible or a new book of the Bible tomorrow and we read it and it didn't line up with Scripture, we're going with Scripture. We're not going with this new revelation, no matter how great it sounds, no matter how encouraging it is, no matter how inspiring it is, we're going with scripture. We're going with what we know the early church knew because that's what we want to do. We want to reclaim, rediscover, re, re know, right? Dust off the things that, that the early church knew so that we can experience what the early church experienced and the intimacy with God and the transformation of lives and healings and miracles and, and deep anticipation and longing for Jesus' return. And so we need to be careful that, that in looking for new things in Scripture, you know, sometimes... Sometimes we, we, we get bored and so we, we start looking for something else. You know, it's like maybe another Bible study will give me some, something else. And what we really need to do is we need to caution our hearts and make sure that instead of going somewhere else, that we just go deeper with what's already there. Because the depths of this can't be plumbed. Right? So we need to, we, that's why we had to have a taste and a flavor for this so that we can go in and understand and see the connections that we've never seen before and not hope for something extra or extra, extra or special outside of what's already given to us. Certainly we want new application. Certainly we want deeper revelation, new realization. Uh, I was at a conference just this week and Pastor Steve Merle, who's the president of Every Nation Ministries, Grace Covenant Church is a part of Every Nation. And he stood up and he's like, uh, he's talking to a room of pastors and he said, I just want to, I just want to clarify the roles and responsibilities inside the church. He said, Jesus's job is to build the church. Our job as pastors is to make this as Christians, not even pastors as Christians is to make disciples. And he said, so often we as pastors try and start building the church instead of making disciples. And we've stepped out of the, we've stepped out of our place and we're trying to do somebody else's job. And we're trying to do what only Jesus can do. You with me? So that's not, that's, it's, it's new, it's fresh, it's inspiring for all of us in the room. It was kind of like, oh, burn. <laughs> right? Because so easily ministry, so easily church, so easily Sunday mornings can become about the Christmas trees and the, and the, and the, or did we change for the season? And we gotta light the candle on time. And you know, we gotta make sure we gotta have matches and you know, all that. It can become about all of those things instead of about making disciples and savoring and beholding Jesus. But what's great is Pastor Steve didn't take us to some new thing. It wasn't some exciting big thing. He's like, hey, let me just tell you what was here. And you read it a hundred times and you just keep missing it. There's so much in here that we just keep missing. And so Pastor Steve returns us to this and he says, I just want to remind you what the Bible says. 
Because when you know what the Bible says, you'll know who God is. And when you know who God is, you'll know who you are. And when you know who God is and who you are, you'll know what God does and you'll know what you're supposed to do. It's pretty cool, huh? And that's not just for pastors. So it might have been part of a... um, might have been part of a hymn. So we know that Jesus is divine from the very beginning. And that's, that's really exciting. Um, and we can have confidence in that revelation. What I want to do is I want to talk about uh, our mind this morning. And then I'm going to talk about the model that we have. And then I'm going to talk about mocking and murdering. Um, because the verse took us there, but also because I was feeling the alliteration bug this morning. First, our mind. We saw in Philippians 2 verse 4 that Paul calls us to walk humbly with one another. I joke often that ministry, life, life, period, parenting, marriage would be so wonderfully easy if not for people. <laughs> if not for everyone else. It would be so easy. And Paul's, this, this whole letter is a thank you letter. Paul is honoring them. And he's, he's really, he used the word joy like 16 times or something like that in this, in this chapter or in this, le- in this letter that he wrote to the church of Philippi. And so he is, his heart is stirred with affection for him. And he's thanking them and he's, he's honoring them. And he's, he's, he's cautioning them. He's, he's saying, hey, look, you guys, everything's good. And I'm so grateful for you. And I, and I love you. And I know you love me. Let's make sure that we stay humble with one another. And if you're going to stay humble, because if you can stay humble with one another, God's going to be able to use you in remarkable ways. God's going to be able to do remarkable things if you walk in humility with one another and with God. And so he says, he says, I need you to have this mind. I need you to have this mind uh, that's, that's different than the mind of the world, where we strive for more and more and more. In fact, in some ways, we think of ourselves to be a little bit divine, don't we? We want to be the ones who say, we wouldn't say it that way. We, we, we wouldn't think, I think of myself as God. Because that's what crazy people do. But what we might do is we might, we might want to control the priorities in our life. And we want to set the plans and we want to state the, the, the circumstances and we want to line things up and say, this is how this is going to work. This is how it must work. And this is, this is how it's going to be. Meanwhile, God's saying, that's my work, not yours. We want more and more and more and more and we want to gather and pull and, 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 and the reason we do that is to, to prop ourselves up. We do that so, that so that we can feel significant by our own work and so that we can feel significant by other people's recognition and acknowledgement of us. And by making something significant and, and lifting something up, that's what worship is. So in a very real way, we're, we're propping ourselves up to worship ourselves or to be worshiped by others. And Paul's like, here's the antidote to this. You need to have a different mind. And in Christ, we have an opportunity for a different mind altogether. He's like, you don't have to just change your thinking, which, which we do. We've, we've got to take control of our thinking. But it's almost as if there's a download available of sorts. There's this mind that's available to us in Christ where we t- begin to take on his priorities and we begin to take on his values and we take on his lifestyle and we take on his thought process. And so we can see the same thing, but see it and think of it differently than we ever would have by ourselves. Does that make sense?
So in Christ, what we have is the opposite. It's almost like a brain transplant. But what happens is where we've always viewed life from this angle and we can see it and describe it a certain way. In Christ, what we have is an opportunity to view it from a completely different angle while still being in that body. Megan was telling me about a book she's reading called Soul Keeping. It's a, it's a challenging book. Um, we're kind of going through it together. She's doing the hard work of reading it. And then she brings me things and, and, and she's drawn out the nuggets and she shares it with me. And but to be honest with you, the book just feels too hard for me right now. It just feels too hard. I'm doing a lot of reading. I'm doing a lot of study. And, and I'm like, man, that is a, that is deep work. So how about you bring me the real good stuff? And she's doing that. And, but we're, we're going through this book. And one of the things in the book, it, it revealed a study that, that when people were praying, what happens is, so there's a part of our brain that lights up when we think about other people that's different from the part of our brain that lights up when we talk about ourselves. It makes sense, right? There's things out there and there are things here. And our, and our brain responds to those things differently. Now, when people have a prayer life, when they talk about themselves, the part of their brain that lights up is the part that acknowledges other people. So, so if I have a prayer life, when I think about myself, I'm not going to think of myself from in here. I'm going to think of myself from out there. Because prayer is one of the ways that we get to gain access to the mind of Christ that's available for us. Kind of cool, huh? Can you imagine? So many arguments start because we're so entrenched right here. Right? Like I'm, I'm entrenched into an argument because I'm, I, I see things my way, the way I want them to be, and, and I'm right. Right? That's why we're in an argument in the first place, because you're wrong, and I'm, I'm right, and I have the better information, and I processed it better, and I have a better outcome and solution. And all of yours are garbage. So I don't even know why we're having this conversation because I'm entrenched here because I'm right. Now, what happens is if somebody has a, it, and, and you're over there and you're wrong. Now, in prayer, we access the mind of Christ. In prayer, we access the heart and the person of Jesus. We, we encounter the Holy Spirit and he comes in and he changes our mind. How cool is it that prayer can change your mind so your spouse doesn't have to? Right? God wants to change your mind in prayer. And what happens is, so if we pray, now all of a sudden I'm not thinking of myself from this entrenched internal place, but I'm thinking of myself from, from, a, from a different place in my mind. I'm thinking of myself differently. Um, Megan and I do a thing every once in a while called Best Friend Talks. And, and I've never talked about them before because it's kind of goofy. But, but try it, right? Try it. You might like it. Uh, maybe it'll be a disaster for you. <laughs> but we do a thing called Best Friend Talks where, where sometimes... Uh, we need to say something hard, right? Like, like we're, it's been a couple of days and we're just frustrated. You know, you guys don't know anything about it. Sometimes married couples get frustrated and, and they have a hard time communicating and they don't know why they're having a hard time communicating, but we see the worst in each other in those moments. And that's all you see, you know, like whatever that thing is, you're like, why are you doing this thing? You know, and it's like, why are you disrespecting me so much? You know, and really it's just like they're putting the bowls in different than you want them to. You know, and it's like just something real small or something real silly. Like they didn't like, yeah, anyway. But, um, but so we do a best friend talk. And so what, it, what I'll do is um, we're like, hey, do you, can we have a best friend talk? And it's like, well, sure. Because you can't just force a best friend talk because that'd be awkward. But the idea is that before, like not before, I mean, 
our marriage covenant is the most important agreement that we have on this side of earth, right? That, that exists on this side of, I said earth. Why did I say earth? On this side of heaven, like whatever. It's the most important thing like ever, right? Like loving Jesus and then this covenant I have with Jesus and my wife is like number two, right? So that's where we are. And so I'll be like, best friend talking? She's like, yeah, best friend talking. Okay, cool. So uh, should, I, should I talk to you or should I say what you would say to me? doesn't even matter. So, um, hmm. I wasn't planning this. So, <laughs> so <laughs> tread lightly. Um, what? I've got so many problems. That's what I'm trying to sort through. I'm like, which problem do I want to share? Right? Cause my wife is perfect. So the best friend talked to my wife, the best friend, the best friend talked to my wife would be, Oh, here we go. Here we go. So, so let's say I'm feeling particularly insecure for some reason, right? I could be like, hey, best friend talk. She'd say, yeah. And uh, I'd be like, hey, um, my wife is just so amazing. I feel like I'm falling really short. I'm just, I, I feel like I'm not able to give her what she needs. Um, maybe a reason I would feel that way is because Megan's frustrated with me or like things are tense or like, you know, you feel distance from me. This isn't a marriage counseling session, but whatever. We're gonna have a little marriage seminar. Um, so like we're, we're, um, you know, we're distant or I'm feeling insecure cause I don't, cause she's mad at me or we're distant, you know, she, she's being quiet. You know, people respond to frustration differently. So she's being quiet and I'll be like, you know, I just, I, she's amazing. I, I really, but we're missing each other and I'm not, I'm not sure how to do it. And then she'd be like, Oh, what's your wife? What's your wife doing? Right? So she's not referring to herself right now. She's my, she's, she's, she's helping me understand my wife. And she's got remarkable insight into my wife. Yeah, so, so I can compliment m- my wife to her. And I could be like, so clearly I'm, I'm, I'm messing up. Clearly I, 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 I was trying to do this. I don't know how to do it. Um, can, you, can you give me some insight? Can you help me with this? And sometimes she's able to say, oh, your wife didn't know that that's how it felt. Sometimes she's able to say, oh, well, you know, I think your wife thought you were going to do something that you didn't do. And it's like, oh, I told her I was going to do it. She doesn't have to remind me every six months. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Don't do that. That was just to lighten it up. Don't do that. Bad, bad. Don't do that. Right. And so, so, so we're able to do that. We can do that with finances. So like Christmas is coming, right? Kind of stressful. Is she going to overspend? Am I going to overspend? How's this going to go? I could be like, Hey, best friend talk. Yeah. Hey, this one's about money. Uh, I need my wife to know. Can you let my wife know that the budget number is really the budget number? Cause that would be real helpful. Because if I said, Hey, look, Megan, don't overspend the budget. Be like, who who do you think? Because we're, so anyway, the whole reason I got on that, so try it or not try it, whatever. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say there's this way of thinking about ourselves from a, from outside of ourselves that allows us to, to process life and to process one another and to process God more effectively so that we're not entrenched and we're not just firing off shots at, at one another and firing off shots at God. Does that make sense? So, uh, if it works, let me know. (laughs) Somebody did come back and they said it was a disaster. So. (laughs) Just a warning. 
But in Christ, we have access to a new mind. And we have access to, to understanding one another and life and him from a different perspective and not being entrenched in ourselves anymore. C.S. Lewis defines humility, not of thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And prayer allows us to do that. What is the meditation of your heart? Is it the things that you want and the things that you want to get and the things and the ways that you want things to be? Or is your meditation of your heart on other outside things? God, what's your heart for this? How much does that change absolutely everything? What do I want out of this conversation versus what does God want out of this conversation? How does that change things? What do I want out of this conversation? Or what does, or what does Pastor Eddie want out of this conversation? It's a game changer, isn't it? If we would humble ourselves and take on the mind of Christ that is available for us and available to us in Jesus. Our model is Jesus himself. Who, though he was in the form of God, though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So here is God, the one who has full right to all the privileges of being God. And he set them aside. All the privilege of being God, all the power, omniscience and omnipotence and omnipresence. He surrendered all of these things so that he could take the form of a child because he had something bigger he wanted to do. He had something huge that he needed to accomplish and he couldn't, he didn't, he didn't want to accomplish it from heaven. But he chose to come down and subject himself to his creation. Jesus, though equal to God and thereby entitled to all the rights and privileges, no one, not even the father could force him into this place. That he was entitled to, but, but, and he didn't cling tightly to him, he let it go. Submitting to the Father, and submitting to the Holy Spirit, and submitting to his own will, cause, cause they, they're completely unified at all times. So it's the kind of thing, you ever been with somebody and you're like, yeah, we definitely need to eat nachos. And everybody's like, totally in agreement, right off the top, yes. This is how it was. With Jesus, this is, this is what needs to happen. And the Father sent the Son, Who's existed for all time to take the form of a, to take the form of a human, to take on human flesh. And he wasn't, he wasn't all God and not man, and he wasn't all man and not God. He was, he had two natures, all God and all man in one person. And we're like, that, that just, that doesn't make sense. So it can't be true. Unless God can do things we don't understand. And then it can be true. Right? Like, I don't, know, I don't know that I necessarily want a God who can only do things that I understand. Because we wouldn't, we, would, I, we wouldn't be here. I failed chemistry in high school. We don't want that kind of God where I understand everything. We don't want the kind of God where you understand everything. Because your knowledge, the, the little knowledge we have is out of balance anyway. And a lot of it's not even true. 
I said earlier about, about the Bible, if we found a new book of the Bible or a new page of the Bible, somebody said, oh, this was written and it's true. Everybody liked it and it's different. We'd go, uh, nope, we're sticking with this because we know this to be true. And, but, but like science, we find a bone and we're like, everything's different. We find like teeth and we're like, turns out they didn't eat meat. They ate, they ate vegetables only. And then you find another bone and you're like, oh, that was just those people. They actually ate a lot of meat and they bit their fingernails. <laughs> That's real thing. Like they said, have you ever, I read weird things, but they were saying that like from this one jaw, they were able to determine that people bit their fingernails back then. <laughs> Don't know why that matters or why I'm talking about it now. <laughs> but new information isn't going to change the, the, the revelation that we already have. He, he laid aside his divine. Oh, he does, uh, oh, He laid aside his divine privileges without giving up his godness. He was still fully God and fully man. He's both. Look, they're, they're confusing things in all of life, aren't there? It's like, why do I run when I stub my toe? Makes no sense. Well, how can fried chicken, so delicious, be so bad for you? And it's confusing. These are the things that keep me up at night. (laughs) Fully the nature of God, fully the nature of man in one person. And this one person is also at the same time (laughs) completely one with the Holy Spirit and with God the Father. In complete unity with them. As one God. So three in one. Now we've got two in one. It's pretty... It's. it's awesome. I feel like I could just keep saying that a hundred different ways and I would just get more excited and you'd be like, we got it. So I'll move on. He didn't consider equality with God something to be, to be grasped. He, he's, like, he's like, I've surrendered these things. I've set them aside for a time so that I can accomplish this work that's before me. And he didn't strive to take hold of it. He was pleased knowing that the Father had it. And I wonder how many lessons in humility There are for us in those ideas that while we strive so hard to be recognized and to be significant and to bring ourselves higher and to collect and to gain and to have and to want and to get the one who had every right to all of those things surrendered it. How much more should we be willing to lay those things aside? So not only did he condescend, not only did God lay aside these rights and privileges and take on flesh, he subjected himself to his creation. He subjected himself to a process that he created. He created birth. He created conception and and the the birth canal and pregnancy and, and all of those things. He subjected himself to that. He subjected himself to that and then he subjected himself to the worst of humanity. So he condescended and then he brought himself even lower and and, and allowed humanity to mock and, and scorn him. He allowed the worst of humanity to throw everything that they had at him to the point that he was murdered on a cross. And this is the model that Paul says to follow. So, so, you know, it's like, 
isn't it enough that I'm taking on human flesh and I came through a birth canal and everything else? Can't we just wrap this thing up? Right? Like, how many times have we been asked to do something and you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'll go that far. It's going to hurt, but I'll do it. And then you get there and then you realize that even more is being asked. And you're like, I'm sacrificing to be here. And you're requiring more of me? I don't want to go there. But that's the model that we see in Jesus. That he came here, he condescended and brought himself here. How humiliating. But then he came all the way over to here where he would be mocked and scorned and murdered. Spat at, stripped naked. He had his beard ripped out of his face. And he knew all that was coming when he chose to take take on flesh as a child, as a baby. He was obedient to the point of death. Death that he didn't even deserve. There's a um there's a, there's a TV show um used to be on called uh, Undercover Boss. Did anybody see that? I'm not, I don't know what happened to the show. I saw a few of them, so I'm sure there are weird ones. I'm not like giving it like a stamp of approval, like the GCC seal. But the idea is this, that the CEOs of company, what they decide to do is they decide to go and work undercover down at the lowest levels of their organization. So the, the president of, of like a porta potty company decides to go work the runs. <laughs> That's probably a terrible. <laughs> Dang. It's been a while since I messed up like that. Decides to, to go on the route. <laughs> route. I knew it started with an R. <laughs> but the others were there too. <laughs> So he goes out on the route with the lowest guys in the company and he subjects himself to his own organization. He subjects himself to his own organization and then he goes around and now he's got this underling telling him what to do and how to do it. No, no, you're connecting that all wrong. You got to do this instead. Yeah, come on, dummy. You know, and they, they, they obviously it's being produced to draw heartstrings. And so they pick people who aren't going to beat up the boss and aren't going to yell at him. They might expose a middle level manager, but they're not going to expose this lower level guy. It's not the guy who's cheating. He's like, actually, I don't empty these at all. <laughs> we just, we skip this. We come back in three weeks when it's real bad, but they don't know the difference. They think that's just how it is. And they, we, we make them pay extra, you know, and it's the, they leave those people out of the show. They have the really sincere people who have some sort of need, you know, need to get through college or, or have, haven't been on, haven't taken a vacation in 10 years because they, they're paying for their grandma's, you know, medicine or something like that. Right. And so, so the whole show leads up to this place where, where the boss is sitting here and he's like, surprise, it's me. I own you. <laughs> no, and, and he calls him into the office and it, what he does is the person walks in and they see the boss for who he is. And they're like, oh, wait a second. You know, and you can see him thinking through everything that they had done. 
Like everything that they said, did they tell them that <laughs> they, they stole that snack from the lunchroom? You know, like the paper clips and stuff. And they're like, oh, shoot. I wonder if you saw that. And he's like, hey, I just, I just want to let you know, like, it was amazing working, like, with you. And, and I, I, you got this need, and I want to I meet this need that you have. And they give money, and everybody cries. And it's like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What Jesus did for us is even far greater than that. But he did come as an, under, as an undercover boss of sorts. And he came down and he lived among his creation and we didn't hide the worst from him. We gave him our worst. We showed him our worst. And we attacked and we, we accused and we humiliated. I know you weren't there 2,000 years ago. You weren't the ones throwing rocks and you weren't the ones cursing him. You weren't the ones calling for his death. but our apathy towards him is exactly that. And so when we see Jesus for who he really is, now if we get called into his office, we see him seated at the right hand of the father, reigning and ruling from heaven. He came down as the undercover boss of sorts. And he, he saw us not struggling to pay off student loans, though that might be some of y'all's struggle. He saw us suffering under the weight of sin and death. And he, and he paid that way for us. I see you suffering under sin. I see you suffering under shame. I see you suffering under guilt. That's going to destroy you and you'll never be who it is that that you're supposed to be, who it is that he created you to be so long as you're, you're under that. So I'm going to pay your way. You'd be sitting in the office with him. He'd say, I'm going to pay your way. I'm going to die the death that you deserve so that instead of shame, you can have acceptance. So that instead of death, you can have life. So that instead of working to fulfill your own purpose, you can work to uh, achieve an even greater and higher purpose. One of my making and one of my design and one of my calling. Here's what I need us to understand today. First, that the, the Bible isn't just giving us information here. It's instructing us and inviting us into a completely different kind of life. God is inviting us to take on the values, the lifestyle, the priorities of Jesus. And he's made a way for us to be able to do so. If we would just allow him the opportunity to transform us by humbling ourselves before him. So it's an invitation to change. It's an invitation to be changed. It's an invitation to walk with him. And the second thing is this, that this Christmas, what we have is far greater than nostalgia. So much of the Christmas season is spent trying to conjure up nostalgia and remember our childhood. But to Pastor Eddie's point during communion, there's something far greater for us to be able to remember during this Christmas season. And that's Christ who has condescended for us, subjected himself to all things and then was crucified for us before he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death 
What we have is the opportunity to behold Jesus. Not just eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, but Jesus who is God. Jesus who is Lord. Jesus who is King. And we have the opportunity for our hearts to be stirred for him who's eternal. And not just for the gifts that we're going to give that are going to be used up and forgotten in a short period of time. But we can invest heavily in eternity by savoring Jesus during this Christmas season. Even if you don't feel nostalgic, he's still here. Even if your heart isn't stirred with fond memories of your childhood or stirred with fond memories of other people's, or even if that, that, that Hallmark movie doesn't stir you the way that it once did, what we have is far greater than a temporary stirring. What we have is a certainty that God is who he is. Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he said he would do, and he's going to do what he said he would do. And we can be certain and we can take it to the bank that he's redeeming us to himself, that he's going to care for us and provide for us and, and, and offer us a greater forever than we could ever uh, imagine or create on our own. We need to take hope knowing that our security, our peace, and our hope is not on the nostalgia of a white Christmas and drummer boys, but on Jesus Christ who came to redeem us. And that's what we remember this season. That's what we anticipate. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. I'm thankful today for your love. I'm thankful for your grace and your mercy. Oh God, I ask that you would teach us to walk humbly with one another. In this Christmas season, that we would that we would be willing to condescend ourselves. That we would think of others more. We would think more of others. We got most importantly that we would think more of you. And that we would approach you with great humility. Is there anybody here today who wants to humble themselves before God? Maybe for the first time. Maybe it's a return. Actually, I just, I just feel like all of us can do that this morning. So if you would just join me in bringing ourselves low before him in our heart and our mind. The Holy Spirit's doing heart surgery right now on some of us. Help us to think more of you, God. Help us to think more of you less of ourselves. To realize with fresh understanding how far you came to demonstrate your love.
for us. How hot your heart burns for the lost. How your heart burns for those that are yours. God has a white hot affection for his church. He has a deep, jealous, ferocious, dangerous love for his people. That love is gentle. That love is kind. That love is patient. That love is long-suffering. That love is merciful. That love is gentle. God, we love you and thank you for this season. If there's anybody who, God, it's just pressing on your heart and you want to freshly surrender and you, you just want to either dedicate yourself to him for the first time or maybe you're, maybe this is just a returning moment. Can you raise your hand? It's all right. Maybe it's all of us. Father, I ask that as we leave from here today, that we would be awed by you. That while we'll enjoy the images of the baby Jesus and as we enjoy Christmas trees and decorations and Christmas carols and all of these other things I ask that we would find our satisfaction in you and in you alone in Jesus name Amen